Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for all the testimonies that were shared, for the work that you have done in hearts and lives. Lord, we're thankful that you do answer prayer. You answer specific prayers, specifically. And Lord, we're glad that we don't even have to share the details. Sometimes we're praying about things that, Lord, are just better left private uh, between uh, the individual and God, and yet we can rejoice together that you have answered those requests. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer, for the fact that you are always attentive to the prayers of your children. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sing one more song. Matthew chapter 5 again. Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Let's go ahead and just move a few things around up here so I can... Negotiate. Matthew chapter 5. Now we've gotten through the Beatitudes and then the... uh, If we will live those Beatitudes or reach those states of blessings, they will automatically make us, we will be the salt and the light of this world. we, we will have that preserving effect. We will have that uh, ability to shed light on what is true. And then Jesus kind of sums this uh, next section up here as we're to be uh, like a city set on a hill. We cannot be hid. We're to be that light that's set on the candlestick. Um, we're to be that salt that has not lost its savor, that still works. Verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass... One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So as Jesus is trying to explain, if you want blessing, you start out with the poor in spirit. Poverty, you cannot attain these things. We can only get what we need from Jesus Christ. And the mourning and the meekness, and we work our way through to the peacekeepers. The peacekeeper is the presenter of the gospel. And that is what the only thing that brings peace on this earth is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, again, that's one of the reasons why... We reject some religions that even use the name Christian because they're not peaceable religions. Uh, The Catholic Church has raised great, incredible armies that have done much devastation and it, it it wouldn't even be fitting 
do not take time to study the Crusades because it's a history of atrocities and wickedness of mankind against mankind. The, the fact that they took a banner of a cross and claimed to do it in Jesus' name is just another lie on top of the uh, parcel of lies that built the whole purpose there. God never commanded the church to fight physical wars with people. You, you read Ephesians chapter 6. What is the work of the Christian warrior? It's what we're doing right here tonight. It's praying. We need answers to prayers. How about you? I need answers to prayers. You need answers. Our church needs answers to prayer. Prayer is the work of the warrior. And so often, but we've got to stop chasing that one and get back to our text here. And then Jesus says, listen, we are to rejoice when men persecute us, when, if it is for righteousness' sake. We are, to be, we are to understand that the reason there is religious persecution in the world today against people who believe in the Bible is because they've rejected the Scriptures and there's no other place to go. It's amazing how many of you have family that do not believe in the Gospel. And how many of you have witnessed the anger and, the, and sometimes even violence toward the truth of the gospel? It comes because once you've done everything to bring peace, there's no other place to go. And so we move and that, that is something we have to understand. Being salt means that we're going to be offensive. And of course... I think in this day and time, we need to understand that and bring to mind, we are not to be needlessly offensive. But we cannot compromise the truth that is in this book called the Bible. And that's where Jesus is going in the verses we are reading tonight. If you're going to have light, if you're going to really see, you, you don't cover it up. You want that light to even be magnified, to be bright, to... To shine forth. And the Bible says that part of that light is our works. The things that we do. The way we live. And then he goes into a, a passage here that's actually going to uh, fill most of the rest of chapter 5. About the Word of God. Verse 19, uh, 17, he starts out saying, Think not, I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, how many of you, the references is here. How many of you remember the story of Jesus healing the blind man? And, and he, uh, the Pharisees brought him in and they began to examine him. And what was their... Number one charge against Jesus having done this miracle. He did it on the Sabbath day. He broke the law. Did Jesus break the law? Absolutely not. If you had an animal that you were taking care of, a, a, a lamb or a, or a sheep or an oxen, and that ox fell into a hole on the Sabbath day, you were able to save the life of that animal. You were able to dig them out and pull them up out of that. You were able to labor on the Sabbath day to save life. 
Was giving a blind man his sight better than saving uh, an ox or, or a lamb or, or some animal that had fallen in a hole or had been uh, in danger of losing its life? Absolutely. You were able to take, and you were supposed to, if you had your animal stalled in, a, in, in a, any kind of cave or enclosure, you were to take them and water them on the Sabbath day. The priest labored all day long on the Sabbath day, and yet were blameless. Why? Because they were fulfilling the laws of God. And what was their statement? We know where Moses came from, but we don't know where this guy came from. He, he's trying to destroy the Sabbath. No, Jesus was trying to destroy their traditions. There's a huge difference, isn't there? Jesus said, don't you think I'm come to destroy the law? And, and, and we have some references here in, in the book of Acts in chapter 6 when Stephen was brought before the council. What was their first accusation? He's teaching things contrary to the law. How many times would Paul be brought up on charges that he was teaching things contrary to the law of God? Uh, you know, once the... Devil's crowd get a charge, they don't ever change it. it. Sounds like some of the liberals, I mean, you know, they, they've just got one line. It's fill in the name, whoever the Republican president is, it's his fault. How many of you remember when everything was Bush's fault? Uh, I mean, everything uh, was his fault. Now it's all Trump's fault. They have nothing new. Don't be afraid of them. The devil's been doing this for millennia. Nothing new. He said, they come to destroy. Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He said, I've come to fulfill them. There's a difference. And one of the illustrations that I like to give is, uh, every once in a while you're going to run into somebody that says, Oh, we should worship on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is the day of worship. And I always correct them, and you should too. The Sabbath was never a day of worship. The Sabbath is a day of rest. It was never the day of worship. That became a tradition because the Jewish people were working six days a week. They were supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and so that was the day eventually that they went to synagogue and did all of these things, and they still keep that tradition down to this day. But the Sabbath, all the laws of the Sabbath, were not about worship. They were about rest. You're not allowed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. I think I've, I know I've told the story before, but uh, we used to rent trailers and things, and, and the guy that owned it was a Jewish man, and we were just talking, said, oh, yeah, I said, we meet in an old synagogue. And when I gave him the name, Congregation Beth, he said, oh, I used to attend there sometimes. And uh, when he was a little boy, he came here to synagogue, and we began to talk. And he says, okay, I got a question. He said, the rabbis have been arguing about this my whole life. It says, thou shalt not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. What do you say? I say, I say, what, what the Bible says. I said, you shouldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. I said, if you turn on the light switch, you've kindled a fire. Have you not? If you turn on the stove, you've kindled a fire. 
And I said, by the way, if you hired the electrician to put in the timer to turn on the light for you, you're still responsible. I said, you're not supposed to turn on the light. He said, wow, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I said, well, the Bible really is simple. The problem is, we want to make it complicated so that we can do what we want. You see, the Sabbath is a day of rest. How do I fulfill that? Well, I do not work for my salvation. Do you? Who did all the work for my salvation? Jesus did. That's why we got this up here on the wall. It is finished. Amen? Every day is the Sabbath for the New Testament Christian. We do not break the law. We do not disregard the law. We fulfill the law. How about all the things of what was unclean and the, the dietary laws and people say, oh, you, got, you Gentile Christians, you don't pay any attention. What did Jesus say? He said, not that which goes in a man defiles him, but that which comes out of a man defiles him. Oh. You see, we're supposed to have a clean heart, not just clean hands. If your heart is clean, uh, your hands will be clean now, won't they? Hello? Goes without saying, doesn't it? And Jesus is going to use many examples as we go through this next passage here. But do not ever fall for this uh, lie that comes out. And Jesus knew that this would constantly be a charge and still is today from the Jewish people that you New Testament Christians destroy the entire Old Testament. No, we do not. We live the entire Old Testament, New Testament, it is one book. We're not afraid of any verse in the Bible. But I'll tell you what, the Jewish people are afraid of a lot of verses in the Old Testament. And they've come up with elaborate explanations trying to explain how they are not connected to Jesus. And when you finally, if you ever have opportunity, I've had a few over the years to, to actually put a little pressure on them and start quoting Bible verses. They said, do you know what Isaiah 53 says? Have you ever read Psalm 22? Uh, have you looked at these passages? And, and it finally comes down to, well, I don't believe it. You know what? I can't help you there. Because, oh, you know, somebody's throwing a party out back, so. Praise God, it's not 2 o'clock in the morning. Amen? It was the other night. So we'll just uh, keep moving. Listen close. I'll try to yell a little louder. Amen. But uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7 and just look through a few passages here in the, in the book of Hebrews. And again, if you will remember, I hope I'm not too repetitious on certain of these things, but Hebrews is God's switchboard. It is the place where everything in the Bible is connected. And... Uh, Verse 11 says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity a change also of the law. And we come to chapter 9 and verse 11. 
Now, let's start reading in verse 9, 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a, what's that next word there? Figure. What is a figure? It is a picture. It is a representation. It is a model, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, as we look through these passages here, and we can go over to chapter 10 and verse 9, talking about Jesus. This is out of the Psalms. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Jesus had come to pay the debt of the law. It's, we, we live in a world where people are attached to religious ritual. And somehow they believe that, that this religious ceremony, every once in a while I'll get a call and say, uh, Do you, would you come over and bless our house? And uh, uh, I'm always, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about there. And I guess there's some little Catholic ceremony where they sprinkle holy water on the house and it's supposed to be sanctified and, and all of those things. You know, the best way you can be blessed and protected is for you as an individual to make a decision to be obedient to the Word of God. Amen? You know, you, you want God to bless your house, to protect it and all of these things. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God is living in you. How could you be more protected than that? Amen? And, and so, we, we have to get past the outward and get the inward. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He came to fulfill all of the laws. And uh, let's, um, let's turn quickly here to Romans chapter 7. 
And uh, let's just come down here in uh, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, be... Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of, the, of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Are you following? Paul is teaching the Roman church here. And he says, listen, the law serves a purpose. The law convicts me. He said, I wouldn't know the difference between right and wrong, between sin and righteousness without the law. He said, then I understood the law said, thou shalt not lust, thou shalt not covet. He said, then I begin to look at my life and my entire life was one Sears and Roebuck catalog. Uh, I want this and I want that. How many of you are old enough to remember that thing? You get the Christmas wish book and you open it up. I want one of these and one of these and one of these. And, and uh, then mom said, you're not getting anything but what we get you. Amen. And uh, it was always better in better taste than anything I would have chosen. But the simple truth here is we can... Understand that our entire life, that the best that we can do, how did Isaiah put it? Is as filthy rags. That's what the law teaches us. The law is to show us that we cannot approach to the righteousness of God. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of the law. Why did the Pharisees and the and the scribes come up with so many traditions. It was because they knew they couldn't keep the law, so they made excuses for not keeping the law. Uh, they made it appear as if they were keeping the law by actually breaking it, which is why Jesus was so harsh in his condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees, because they made people think that they were keeping the law when they were actually breaking it more and more. And that's the seed of all false religion. It, it just follows that same pattern. Let's go to Acts chapter 15, if we would. And in Acts chapter 15, we have the story here uh, of the men that came down from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And, and they were trying to teach the Christians in Antioch, who were Gentile in their heritage, that if they were really going to be Christians, they had to become Jews. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissimulation. They had no small dissent or argument with them. And uh, people always talk about, well, we have the first church council at Jerusalem. No, they went back to Jerusalem because that was the church where the rascals who were causing all the problems came from. That's how you solve problems. 
is you go back to the church. That's where the authority is of which they were members. And so they went back to Jerusalem to accuse these men of false teaching. Now the disciples, as they went through this thing, I want you to see here that their testimony was not that Jesus had destroyed the laws and the prophets, that the laws and the prophets were still there, they were still intact, they were still to be read, they were still to be studied. But in and with the understanding of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? So let's start reading in verse 13. And after they had held their peace, this was Barnabas and Paul talking about what God had done. James, this is the Lord's half-brother, the author of the book of James. He was the pastor of the church there at Jerusalem at this time, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the, what's that say? All the prophets agree, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He goes on in verse 21, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day, He says, we're not against Moses being read in the synagogues. We're not against the Old Testament at all. We have to understand that what we are preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ, this was James talking here, is the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. You see, it was not the disciples who divided themselves, separated themselves from the Jewish people. It was these same scribes and Pharisees who were accusing Jesus of breaking the law, who were accusing his disciples of breaking the law, who finally took things into their own hand and began to persecute the Christians because they wouldn't receive the message of peace, of salvation in Jesus' name. And so Jesus, as he is in early in his ministry, going through what we call the Sermon on the Mount, He's trying to help us. In Timothy, we have Timothy's testimony that in his grandmother, in his mother, and now in Timothy, I want to challenge you. Timothy, uh, his mother and grandmother may still have been alive, but when they came to faith in God, all they had was the Old Testament Scriptures. You see, it is one Bible. And that's why Jesus, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 here. That's why Jesus said, Think not I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now what Jesus is promising here is that there is not going to be a great deal of argumentation and debate with honest people on where the Word of God is. Now, we have a whole realm of argumentation and debate, a whole division of, quote, 
Christian theology where people do nothing but argue. Now, this word doesn't belong here, and this word belongs here, and this word is here, and, and uh, just a, a few examples here. Um, I didn't print them out for, for everybody, but um, uh, 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 an expositor many years ago said, Should any person in the words of Deuteronomy 6.4 hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and change the Daleth, which was a D, into a Resh, he said he would ruin the world because in that case the word RXA would signify a strange or a false God. So just changing one letter in the Hebrew. And how many of you have ever seen Hebrew lettering? I mean, if you really want to, I have a scroll in my office. After the service, you could go in there and take a look at it. It's supposed to be about 600 years old. The guy that gave it to me told me it was uh, was that old. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not uh, uh, able to verify that. But I'll tell you what, it just... Uh, if you've seen real Hebrew writing, it is very difficult to read. And yet the jot or the yod is the smallest Hebrew letter. The tittle, uh, people argue about that. I actually saw a 1,000-page doctrinal thesis on what jots and tittles were. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? I'm not going to. I'm not going to read that thing. I don't have time to read a thousand pages. The yod or the jot is the smallest Hebrew letter. The tittles. Uh, the basic argument is it's either the hyphenation marks that tell you what the vowels that fit in the letters are, just little dots that appear over the consonants, or it's actually the serifs on the ends of the letters, the little marks that distinguish one letter from another. And uh, you can argue about it all you want, but what you need to understand is, Jesus said there is not going to be a change of one word in the law to all be fulfilled. Do you think that would include the Psalms and the poetry and, and the prophets. Do you think that would include what we call the Bible, the Old Testament? Yeah, uh, there's certainly an application there. We can trust this book called the Bible. And we've spent more than one time going through the evidence. And it is beyond any honest evaluation, uh, any honest doubt that what we have here is every word that Moses wrote on Mount Sinai. We have the very words that David penned as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And the words that Isaiah recorded from the mouth of God are the words that are printed in our King James Bible. It's just been translated into English. And we can read in English and get the message that the Hebrews read when they were first spoken to them. Till heaven and earth shall pass away. By the way, we're familiar with Revelation chapter 22. What happens if you add words to God's Word? The plagues in the book. By the way, I checked out that book. There's a lot of plagues there. You don't want to be adding to God's Word. Amen? 
And what happens if you take away the words of God's book? It says your name is going to be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. I'll tell you what. It's not worth the chance, my friend. Don't mess with God's word. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to destroy. I've come to fulfill. And just so you understand, there is an objective standard here. God's word will be preserved and will not be changed in the least way. Then he goes on to say how we're going to be judged in these next two verses. For whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a, a pretty simple statement there. You know, all we have to do is obey what the Bible says. Amen? That's why we have church. That, that's why we teach the Word of God. That's why, uh, as a pastor, I go through passages and we, we spend time. I, I don't preach on anything but what the Bible says. Because every one of us has opinions. And who am I to say that my opinion is smarter than your opinion? How arrogant could, would that be? But if I give you God's words, then we don't have to worry about opinions, do we? We just have to worry about serving the Lord. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Just do what the Bible says. That's, what, that's all there is to that part. And then we go on to this last verse that we're going to try to get through tonight. Verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we stop and we think about that, we need to understand a little bit about the history of the time when Jesus walked the earth. The the crowd to which he was speaking here, the, the, uh, the priest, generations before, when Jesus was born, there had already been an intermarriage between the Hasmoneans or the priestly family, the direct descendants of Aaron and Herod. You see, Herod was trying to move himself in. He was an Idumean. He, he was one of the ancient Canaanites, actually, that were still left there in the land. And he had manufactured or manipulated a marriage between the priestly line and actually had put himself into the descendants of Israel and then passed himself off as their king. Now, the Jewish people normally would have taken great offense to that. But being that Herod was the one that engineered the rebuilding of the temple. They took Zerubbabel's temple and built Herod's temple literally right up over top of that. They had been working on that temple for six years, according to the uh, Pharisees, before Jesus was born. Actually, 16 years. And, and 
they would continue working on it. They didn't finish building, working on the temple until somewhere about 63 A.D., less than 10 years from the time the temple was destroyed. They were still building and beautifying. It was literally one of the wonders of the ancient world. People would travel from all over the Roman Empire to stand and look at the temple because they couldn't go in it because they weren't Jewish. And so, the priests had already compromised their faith in God completely and totally. And the reason the Jewish people bought into this thing is because the priest had already told them, hey, this is a good thing. Herod's going to be a blessing. He's going to help us with the Romans. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And many of those things came to pass. But the only thing was they had already compromised the truth. The Sadducees were, in Jesus' day, were the priests. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any divine revelation. They didn't believe in anything they couldn't see. How many of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The priest passed him. What did the Levite do? I often joke, the Levite had to be a Baptist. Because he went over and looked on him. Wow, you're really in bad shape. See you later. Have a good day. And walked on. Uh, it was the Samaritan that actually helped him, wasn't it? And so, the Pharisees were the only group of Jewish people alive at this time that actually cared anything about what the Bible said. They were the fundamentalists uh, of their day. But they held to their traditions more than they did the Word of God. But if you and I were alive in Jesus' day and we believe like we do, you know where we would go? We would go to the synagogue of the Pharisees because that was the closest place to hear the Word of God talked about in Jesus' day. But you had to make a choice when Jesus came. Am I going to hold on to the Pharisees or am I going to follow Jesus? And Jesus is making the statement here, the greatest righteousness, the, the most holy people of the Jewish race in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. And he said, listen, they're not good enough to get to heaven. You're going to have to do a better job than that. Now, that was quite a statement, was it not? But what Jesus was doing even here is he saying, listen... They're not keeping the law, God. I have come to fulfill everything in the prophets. And the standard is going to be preserved and it's never going to be lost. And the righteousness that is necessary to enter my kingdom. You have to start with being poor in spirit. You can't get there. You have no means of obtaining it. You've got to come to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what that includes? Humility, does it not? See, everything the Pharisees did was about puffing themselves up. That's what false religion is. Look what I've accomplished. Isn't it amazing? Uh, I'm sorry, I just forgot the name. The story popped in my head, so I'll tell you real quick. But this was on about uh, 
300 or so A.D., uh, there was a man that said, I'm going to be spiritual and I'm going to separate myself from the world and I'm going, to, I'm going to live holy unto God. And so he went outside town in the desert there, around, somewhere around Alexandria, and he piled up a pile of rocks about three, six feet high, and he sat on the rocks and he just sat there and closed his eyes and said, I'm meditating, I'm talking to God. And people would come by and say, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm getting away from the world so that I can talk to God. And somebody said, man, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I'm going to join you. And before this whole thing was done, he had a pile of rocks 40 feet high, and 3,000 people camped out at the bottom of his pile of rocks. Doesn't that sound totally insane? But this was the beginning of the modern monastic, well, actually the ancient monastic movement. There's only one problem with getting away from the world. You can't get away from yourself. I don't need to get away from the world as much as I need to get close to Jesus. Amen? It's all the crazies that are out there. They're all attached to things they can do. Jesus said, I didn't just, I'm not come to destroy the laws and the prophets. I'm going to fulfill them. And the reason why we do not partake of all of those Jewish laws and traditions is because they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I no longer follow the dietary laws because the dietary laws were a lesson to teach me to keep myself clean in my thoughts and clean in my heart. Amen? The Sabbath is the day of rest. And I began to rest in Jesus August 28th, 1977. I'm still resting. The works that we do are to show forth the goodness of God, not to earn our way to heaven. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask as we go through this sermon again that you would bring to our hearts the truths that are necessary that we could just live simple and honest lives before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, just have a moment. If you need to slip out, spend some time at the altar. We won't have the piano. Just quietly, if you need to pray, and then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.